0: Good morning, church. We're kicking off today a big, big, exciting week here at Harmony Bible Church. Of course, we have our services this morning. And then next Saturday, we're going to gather again to celebrate Christmas. Two services at each of our campuses, 1 o'clock and 3 o'clock. And, you know, I've checked, and it looks like the weather outside is going to be frightful. But... In our buildings and in our services, everything is going to be, say it with me, delightful. It is. It's going to be a great time. And I just want to really want to encourage you uh, to invite family, friends, uh, neighbors, uh, somebody who needs uh, to hear the gospel. We're going to have a great time lifting high the name of Jesus, uh, sharing the most wonderful truth in the world. And I want to ask you to, to do me a favor uh, and just to be praying uh, this week, uh, specifically praying as I prepare uh, the message and that uh, the Lord would really, really do an amazing work. So it wouldn't be just a gathering uh, where we're having a great time and we're all nostalgic and this is kind of what we do. Uh, but we really gather. Gather on Christmas Eve, uh, not only to worship Jesus, but to tell people about Jesus. And there are going to be probably hundreds of people at our services on Saturday that do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. So we pray this week that the Lord will work and bring many, if not all, of those people to Him. Can we do that? All right. Uh, So let's do that and then uh, be with us here on Saturday. Now, uh, I'm going to ask you to uh, turn with me one more time uh, to the Sermon on the Mount, specifically to Matthew 7. And while you're turning there, I want to express how thankful I am uh, for what God has done over the last 16 weeks as we have uh, carefully walked through this wonderful teaching of Jesus. It's been a, a fantastic study And I'm profoundly grateful for your willingness uh, to allow your uh, pastors to uh, preach to you uh, and to challenge you, especially uh, when it's been uncomfortable. And there have been lots of times in the Sermon on the Mount where it's been uncomfortable. Amen? Oh, not too uncomfortable? I can make it more uncomfortable if you would like. But in all seriousness, uh, the way that you have responded is a sign that you are uh, mature, or at least maturing in your faith, and I greatly rejoice over that so that now as we come to the end of another year, I am a pretty uh, happy pastor, and so thank you uh, for being a part of that. Uh, Now that said, I want to urge you to once again uh, receive the word with eagerness today, uh, as when it comes right down to it, this last message is the most important message of all. And that's because how we respond to Jesus' words and his concluding kind of statement here in the Sermon on the Mount really will determine what we do with everything else Jesus has said in the sermon. You see, as Jesus concludes, he makes it clear he isn't satisfied with us simply hearing his words and appreciating them he isn't content with us just being impressed uh, with his sermon or with a, a message that someone has preached about his sermon no Jesus wants us to commit to doing something with what he's taught us over the last 2,000 years the Sermon on the Mount has received almost universal acclaim it's by far the most famous sermon ever preached and it's still widely popular today and yet what we're going to see this morning is that Jesus isn't interested in us liking the sermon. What he wants us for us to do is to do the sermon. He, he wants us to put us put it into practice. So if Jesus were, were here actually preaching his sermon today, and that would be great, right? You'd all much rather have Jesus preaching than me this morning, all right? All right. It's okay, I can take it, I can take it. Listen, if Jesus was here, I'd I'd just be gladly sitting out with with you with my Bible open, ready to take notes, which hopefully all you're gonna do today, all right? But but here's the thing, if Jesus was here preaching and if he was out in the foyer after the the service and you went up to him and said, oh, Jesus, that was the best sermon that I've ever heard. It's much better than that other guy. You know what Jesus would say to you? Oh, that's great. I don't really care if you like it or not. What I care about is are you actually gonna do what I told you to do. So that really is the question that Jesus is going to pose to us today. Are we willing to take all of this wonderful teaching that he has given us and are we actually going to allow it to change the way that we live? Now to encourage us in this, in his final words, Jesus tells a parable, one that if you grew up in church, you are very familiar with. And you're very familiar with it because 75 years ago, a woman by the name of Ann Olme, uh put it into a children's song that has been sung in Sunday school literally every Sunday since. And in fact, uh, probably many of our children are singing it right now. If we had like a live feed back into our four-year-old room, we could go back and we could see them probably singing this song right now. Now, I had this idea that maybe I would lead us in singing it here this morning together, but I decided not to do that. Amen. We're all happy about that, right? But what we are going to do is going to look very carefully at the parable. And so follow along now as I read, picking up in Matthew 7 and verse 24, Jesus says this Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. here indicates that Jesus is bringing his sermon to a close and he's about to give us his summary application. And the application is really simple. Those who hear his words and do them, i.e. put them into practice, are wise. And those who hear his words but don't do them, i.e. don't put them into practice, are foolish. Now the Greek word for foolish here is the word moros, which sounds a lot like our English word, what is it? Moron. So Jesus is literally telling us that if we simply hear his words, but we don't do anything with them, we are moronic. We are stupid. Now that sounds harsh, right? But it's actually gracious. And it's gracious because what Jesus is trying to do here is he's trying to, to rattle our cage And get us to understand the critical importance of not just being hearers of the word, but doers also. So so if I could boil down probably the the single biggest issue in the church today is is the fact that we love to hear the word, but we like to do the word a whole lot less. And Jesus is is really trying to get up into our grill here and say, listen, it's not about hearing ultimately about hearing. Yes, yes you got to hear But if you don't do anything with it, you literally are being a moron. So, let's now understand what Jesus' parable is really about. What is he really saying? And of course, the house in the parable represents our life, and the rock and the sand represent the different kinds of foundations that we can build our life on. Now, the rock represents a sure and steady foundation, And the sand represents an insecure and unstable one. With that said, though, what are the rock and the sand? Well, the rock is Jesus' words, specifically his words in the Sermon on the Mount. We know this because in verse 24, Jesus says that whoever hears his words and does them is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. So the rock is Jesus' teaching. And what Jesus is saying is that if we build our lives ...on Him and His teaching, then we will be able to endure no matter what storms we face in life. Y'all got that? Jesus is the rock. His teaching is the rock. And if we build our lives on His rock, on Him and His teaching, no matter what we face in life, we are going to make it through. The sand, on the other hand, represents anything else we can choose to build our life on. Whether it's money, or sex, or success, or our family, or even our own goodness... All of these things, everything else is sand. They're unstable foundations that will lead to disaster when the storms of life come. To put a little more meat on the bone here, Jesus is saying that if we build our life on anything but his words, then when the storms of life come, we're going to fall apart. We're going to experience ruin. So, in a nutshell, Jesus' closing application is this. Make his words the foundation of your life. Build your life on his teaching. Give yourselves wholeheartedly to it. Devote yourselves to it. Make it the very center of your life because it's the only foundation that can keep you from being swept away by the storms of life. So let's pray. I'm kidding, we're not done yet. I really, got, I really got you there, didn't I? Some of you are thinking, oh my goodness, it's a Christmas miracle, a seven-minute sermon. But you know me better than that, right? I'm not done. And I'm not done because Jesus' parable deserves a closer look. A closer look that I hope will greatly help us to apply it. So let me highlight three important things that we learn from this parable. First, we learn that we're building our lives on something. You are building your life on something. Jesus once again points out that there's a choice that we must make in life. And the choice is between two and only two options. We can either build our lives on the rock or we can build our lives on the sand. There is no third option. There's no kind of like a hybrid between the rock and the sand. We're all in the hybrids today. Jesus wasn't in the hybrids, right? He says it's one or the other. You have to choose. He said that now three different times. And so we we all face this choice. Are we going to build our lives on the rock of Jesus and his words, or are we going to build our lives on something else? The old hymn, The Solid Rock, puts it best. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. So here's the big question of the morning. Which foundation are you building on? Is it the rock Or is it the sand? Is it Jesus or is it something else? Second, we learn that in the words of Bob Dylan, a hard rains are gonna fall. A hard rains are gonna fall. In other words, storms are going to come. You will note that in Jesus' parable, both the wise man and the foolish man go through a violent storm. Jesus uses the exact same language to describe the experience of both builders. This means a couple of things. One, building your life on Jesus won't prevent you from experiencing difficulty. It will just enable you to withstand the difficulty. Let me say that again. Building your life on Jesus won't prevent you from experiencing difficulty. It will just enable you to withstand the difficulty. I need to make it abundantly clear this morning that following Jesus isn't a means to avoiding the storms of life. That's actually one of the most prevalent false teachings of our day. This idea, if you follow Jesus, every day with Jesus will be sweeter than the day before. This is the way to a super abundant, fulfilled life without any problems or any difficulty. There's some truth in that. But they're given this idea that this is the way to have your, like I talked about last week, your absolute best life now. But the reality is, friends, that the New Testament tells us over and over again that if you follow Jesus, your life is more likely to get harder than easier. That following Jesus is, is harder than not following Jesus, at least in the short term. And we certainly see, have seen this in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount when the Beatitudes says, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. Following Jesus is hard. Then two, even if you somehow manage to avoid the major storms of life, you will one day face the great storm of final judgment. So it's unlikely but possible that you will avoid experiencing the loss of a loved one or serious illness or financial difficulty or serious relational problems. You may live a relatively easy life and die at a ripe old age surrounded by all of your loved ones who have nothing but good to say about you. It's possible that that will happen, but it's highly unlikely. However, here's the thing. Even if that is true for you, you will die one day. And as Hebrews 9.27 says, after that comes judgment. So we're all going to die one day. And when we die, we're all going to stand before the Lord in judgment. That storm, friends, is coming for every single one of us. See, while the storm Jesus mentions in his parable can refer to the difficulties we face in life, it's ultimately pointing to the storm of God's final judgment, a final judgment that each and every one of us is facing. And so here's what we've got to understand today. There's only one way to make it through that great storm. I mean, just think about this for a second. You're gonna stand before a holy God one day and what are you going to be able to say to him or what are you going to be able to do or what are you going to be able to hold on to that is going to enable you to endure under the gaze of a holy perfect righteous God what's going to enable you to do that let me tell you there's only one thing that will enable you to do that and that is if you have entered through the narrow gate of Jesus Christ The only thing that's going to allow you to stand on that day is if you have your foundation, your bedrock, not on anything that you have done or you can do, no matter how successful you have been, no matter what your family is, what church you went to, the only thing that will enable you to stand on that judgment day is whether or not you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you have built your life on him. That's the only thing that will enable you to stand. Third. We learn that building on the rock is temporarily harder than building on the sand. Building on the rock is temporarily harder than building on the sand. The operative word here, of course, is temporarily. It's definitely harder in the short term to build your life on Jesus. Sometimes it's way harder. However, in this parable, Jesus is telling us that in the long term, it's much harder not to. So can I just say this to you today? I, I, I really want to get across, and you really need to understand, that in this lifetime, following Jesus is harder. And that, of course, is the reason why many people, most people, don't want to follow Jesus, even many people who are in the church or who are a part of, of the church. But, but here's what we have to understand. While, while following Jesus is harder right now, in the long term, in eternity, it's much harder not to follow Jesus. And here's one of the the primary things that our culture does to us. Our culture wants us to ignore the reality that judgment is coming, that there is life after death, and eternity is a lot longer than what we are living right now. And and listen, we've got to stop living so much for now, and we've got to start living for then. It's one of the things that Jesus is trying to get across here. So all Jesus would have had to do to illustrate this point was literally point to the Sea of Galilee. So, so when, when Jesus preached uh, the Sermon on the Mount, he, he was on a mountain called it's called the Mount of Beatitudes just north of the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is a, a beautiful lake in the northern part of Israel. Uh, and during the summer, uh, the Sea of Galilee is, is surrounded, okay, on it, it's around it, it has a hard ring of sand. However, it tends to rain a lot there uh, in the winter. And when it does, the Jordan River pours into the Sea of Galilee and it floods all of its banks. And so in Jesus' day, a wise builder, when he was going to build his, his house or some other building, would dig down as much as 10 feet to get to the bedrock. A foolish builder, on the other hand, would just go ahead and he just build right on top of the sand. Now, in the short term, Okay, the, the foolish builder saved a lot of time and he saved a lot of money. But in the long term, he would end up losing absolutely everything. Now, he might survive uh, for, for a year or a two. Maybe it wouldn't be a couple of years where it didn't rain all that much or maybe it didn't cause him too much problems. But eventually, the hard rains would fall, the floods would rise, and the building and sometimes the individual and his family along with it will be swept away. And so, the point is this. The wise builder had it harder temporarily, but the foolish builder had it much harder in the long run. And I want you to listen to this. Similarly, it's temporarily harder to build your life on Jesus because it requires things like humility, repentance, sacrifice, self-denial. It takes a willingness to be persecuted, to be generous, to be forgiving, to love your enemies. All of these things that can be immensely difficult. So, so let's, not, let's not kid ourselves, friends. The Sermon on the Mount, it, it might sound wonderful, but it's really, really hard. It's really, really difficult. It goes against everything in our culture and everything in our flesh. Let's just be honest about it. Let's not, let's, let's not kid ourselves. It's hard, it's difficult. And yet, when the storms of life come, when the hard rains have fallen, building your life on Jesus is the only foundation that will carry you through. Listen, some of you have learned this, but the storms of life can and will wash away every other foundation. They'll wash away your health, your wealth, your family, your relationships, your success, sexual fulfillment. And let me just say this to you. You you may go through life and and all of those things may be with you the entirety of your life, but you do realize that when you die, you're not taking any of it with you. You're not taking your money. You're gonna leave it to your kids and they're gonna squander it, okay? The Bible actually says that, okay? Something like that. But you're not taking any of the stuff that you have with you. And so when you enter into the next life, The only thing that you can actually take with you that will make any difference is Jesus. And so yes, right now, living for Jesus, following him, again, he says the hard way that leads, yeah, it's hard, temporarily. But it's a lot harder not to in the long run. Now, here's the thing. I love how Jesus puts it in two separate places later in the Gospel of Matthew. He promises that he who endures to the end will be saved. Here's what this means. And listen, because this is wonderful. If we build our life on Jesus, when the storms of life are over, we'll still be standing because Jesus will keep us standing. He who endures to the end will be saved. And better yet, When the storm of final judgment is through, we'll find ourselves living with Jesus in a new heaven and a new earth. Will there never be any storm of any kind ever again? I didn't say that as well as I wanted to, so I'm going to make another run at it. Okay? So so, so listen. Um, It's hard. It's difficult. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Some of you need to hear this today because some of you came with big burdens on your heart. Some of you came wondering, is this Christianity thing really all that there is? Is this Christianity thing really true? A- a- am I really going to make it? And let me tell you this. If you will hold on to Jesus, you will make it. You will make it. You will endure. You will make it through whatever storm you face in life. And on the other end, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to take you into a new heaven, a new earth, where there will never be any kind of storm ever again. So this week, I think on on Christmas Eve, I'm not sure, but we'll probably sing Joy to the World, right? You'll hear it at some point during this week. When you do, I want you to remember this, Joy to the World is not actually a Christmas song, it's a second coming song. Joy to the World, the Lord has come. It's not about Jesus' first birth, his first coming, it's about a second coming. And it's about his second coming when he comes to make his blessings known far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. Which means that when Jesus comes, he's going to totally and forever undo the curse and take those of us who are his, who have built our lives on him and his word into a new world where there's no pain, there's no hurt, there's no death, there's no suffering of any kind. It's just perfection forever. And again, and I've told you this so many times, I'm going to tell you it again. We're not in heaven on clouds, okay, Uh, wearing wearing harps, shooting Nerf guns at one another, all right? That's not heaven. You know what heaven is? Heaven is a new earth. Heaven is everything that you, you love about this earth, only in perfection. No problems, no disease, no difficulty, none of it. And you're going to enjoy many of the things that you enjoy right now. And you're going to enjoy them forever. And you're going to enjoy them in a way that you never, ever have before. You know, one of the things that I love about Iowa, and I think I've told you this before too. I love the sunsets. Okay? There's nothing really to obstruct them <laughs> in many places, right? At sun, sunsets and the sunrises. I love seeing the sunrise over the Mississippi River. I love seeing the sunset out, out, out west. It's beautiful. But you... You just got to imagine, if that's how beautiful and wonderful it is now, what's it going to be like when it's perfect? What's the Grand Canyon going to be like in the new heaven and the new earth? What's Mount Everest going to look like? What's Hawaii I mean, Hawaii's amazing, right? If you've been there, it's only a little shadow of how beautiful it's going to be in heaven relationships many of us this week hopefully are going to enjoy time with family and friends and it's going to be a sweet time but even those times are tinged with suffering and difficulty and relational pain so so you're going to be with each other for two or three days and the first day will be good the second day okay and the third day like let's get out of here you're not laughing as much as you should be because you know it's true okay okay that's not going to be the way that it is, the new heaven and the new earth. We'll want to be with each other and we'll want to be with each other forever. And there will be no difficulty, no relational, none of that forever. That's what is promised for those who build their lives in Jesus. And so ultimately, here's what I'm telling you. What I'm telling you is, yes, following Jesus' heart. And you just just need to understand this. Why am I saying this over and over? Because one of my jobs uh, for you as your pastor is to compel you and to remind you of two things. That life is hard and you're going to die. So you need to be thinking about what happened after you die. And not living for this life, but living for the life that is to come. Now, in closing, this message in this series, let me tell you what we've got to come to grips with if we're actually going to apply the Sermon on the Mount to our lives. What we need to come to grips with is uh, what we find in verses 28 and 29. So note how Matthew gives a postscript to Jesus' sermon. He says this, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So, so listen to this. In saying that Jesus taught with authority, Matthew's telling us that Jesus spoke without referring to the authority of some other teacher or of some other writing. All the other teachers of Jesus' day, all the other um, rabbis would refer to another rabbi or they would refer to some sacred writings like the Old Testament. Jesus, on the other hand, taught as if he was the authority. In other words, Jesus taught as if he was something else. Now, You ever know anybody who thinks that there's something else? One of my other favorite things uh, every Sunday is to interact with all the little children that we have here. Like, we have hundreds of kids. I don't get to interact with all of them or or even most of them every Sunday. Uh, But I do get to interact with a number of them. And let me just tell you, we have plenty of kids here uh, at Harmony Bible Church who think they're something else. (laughs) And some of them actually are something else. (laughs) I've seen a few of them here this morning. But... Jesus here is teaching in such a way that he is showing that he is something else or maybe I should say someone else. Jesus already here in the early part of Matthew is teaching as if he has all authority in heaven and earth which he claims to have at the end of the gospel of Matthew. But here's the question for us. Jesus believes he is someone else. Do you believe he is someone else? You see, friends, we have to decide if Jesus really is the God-man who gave his life and then rose again so that our sins can be forgiven and we can have eternal life. I want to put this to you this morning. Is the man who lived 2,000 years ago in the backwater part of the Roman Empire truly the son of God? Like, the man, Jesus, is he also God? God? Did he really live a perfect life? Did he really die on a Roman cross? Did he really come back to life again 3 days later? Is he really coming back to judge the living and the dead and to take those who believe in him into a new heaven and earth where they will live for him with him forever? If so, if your answer to these questions is yes, then the only possible response for you is to build your life on him, to put his words into action, to make it your lifelong goal to live out the Sermon on the Mount. So I really wanna plead with you, okay? So, so we're done with this study, but let's not be done with this study. Let's not be done with the most significant teaching that has ever been given in the history of the world. Jesus' magnus opus, Let's not be done with it. Let's go back to it over and over again. Let's do it. Let's commit ourselves to building our lives on him and his teaching. Listen, if Jesus isn't who the Bible says he is, then we're free to hear his words and ignore them. We can search for another foundation and choose the one that we think is gonna work out the best for us. But if Jesus is who the Bible says he is, then there's only one logical conclusion, friend, We must, in the words of another old song, trust and obey. We must trust that Jesus' word is true and show our trust through obedience. I'll put it this way Does Christmas really mean anything? Is it more than gifts and gatherings and gatherings? And, sorry, grandiosity? Is it more than Buddy the Elf and Clark Griswold and the Hallmark Channel and football games and food? If not, okay, go ahead and build another foundation. But if Christmas is something more, if it's really about God becoming one of us to save us from our sins, then the only sensible response is to build our lives on Jesus. The only thing that makes any sense is to give our lives completely to him. So we have gotta quit dividing our lives and saying, yes, I I believe in Jesus, but no, I'm not gonna follow Jesus. It, it, It doesn't work very well. But James calls us a double minded man. It's being a double minded man. And actually, Jesus would say it's moronic, it's stupid. So, the question for us as we come to the end of this series is are we actually believing in who Jesus is? And are we going to take what we believe and actually put it into action? In closing, I want to share something that I hope will help you to do this. There's a passage in John 6 that the Holy Spirit takes me to um, repeatedly. It's something that I have found over uh, the years that has has become really the very foundation of my life. So it's in John chapter six. In John chapter six, Jesus is um, given his teaching about the fact that he is the bread of life. And just like the Sermon on the Mount, it gets really, really difficult. And at some point, it gets so difficult that many of the people who are following Jesus, there were a lot of people following him at this point, they abandon him. They throw in the towel. In fact, the text says, verse 66 says, after this, many of his disciples no longer followed him and they walked away. So just think about this, right? Jesus is losing virtually everybody. And so as he watches all of these people kind of trickle away from him, he turns and, and the 12 are there, they're still there. And Jesus looks at them and he says, do you wanna go away too? Now, here, I think we need to see Jesus' humanity. This has to be a devastating moment for him. I have to say, if, if today, like, all but 12 of you left and didn't come back, it would be a pretty devastating day for me. So this is devastating for Jesus. He's thinking he, he maybe has lost everybody. But it's in this moment, and, and, and I love this, that Simon Peter shines through. Now, Simon Peter had very few moments in the Gospels, all right, where he shined at all. But this is his one shiny moment. So when Jesus says, hey, do you want to go away as well? Peter says this, listen to this. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Does this resonates so deeply with me? Because Uh, There are lots of, I'm going to just be really blunt and honest with you, there are lots of days where I find following Jesus to be really, really hard. There are lots of days where I don't want to do it. There are lots of days where I have questions and I have doubts and I look at things in my own life and I look at things in the world, I'm going, God, how in the world can you possibly be doing anything good? Why, Why are you allowing these kind of things to happen? And then most of all, and only on top of that, there are plenty of times where I, just, I really just don't feel his presence. The feelings are, are not there. And I recognize that this may be a dangerous thing to, to share as a pastor, but here's what I want you to know, friends. I want you to know that if you struggle in this way, you have these kind of feelings, it's not abnormal. In fact, I would suggest that it is the normal uh, normal experience for a follower of Jesus. It's hard. And I just want to say, if following Jesus isn't hard, you're probably not following Jesus. But here's where I come back to, or actually, this is where the Holy Spirit brings me back to time and time again. At the end of the day, I, I don't have all the questions. You know, I, I read things, study things in the Bible. I'm going, I don't make sense. How, how can that be true? What, what, what's going on there? There's questions. There's things that don't, don't work. But you know what? At the end of the day, what I always come back to is this. I just want to. I want to say it the right way. The Holy Spirit brings me back to this. Jesus is God. How do I know that Jesus is God? Because of the manger, the cross, and the empty tomb. All three of them are historically true. They're verifiable. There's no doubt that Jesus is God come in the flesh. There's no doubt that He died on the cross, and there's no doubt, friends, and here's the most important part, that He rose from the grave. The tomb is empty. Which means that Jesus is God, and if Jesus is God, then He and He alone has the words of eternal life. He is the only person that a lot of times I' go, "Where in the world am I going to go? I don't have anywhere else to go. The Bible doesn't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. Christianity doesn't have all the answers. No human being has all the answers. Don't look for all the answers, because you're not going to find them all. Look for Jesus. And he and he alone has the words of eternal life. And so the question is here, friends, at at the end of the day, is Jesus God? Is Jesus God? And if Jesus is God, then he and he alone has the words of eternal life. Stake your life on that because it is the only thing, the one and only thing that will carry you through the storms of life.